Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, a podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, watch all of the movies of the Disney Animated Canon from their beginning in the 1930s to the, wasn't this last summer of 2014? <laughs> we watched Big Hero 6. This, this movie is a good time. I'm almost disappointed that it's a good movie because it has a lot of potentially fun openings, not the least of which would be Big Hero Sucks. But no, it's actually just a pretty good movie. The thing we do first is summarize the plot in 60 seconds. Your problem, go. It's my turn. Oh, fuck. No, no, this doesn't count. We need to start again. Gah, shit. Okay, um, um, uh, Hiro Yamada is a robotics genius who gets into trouble instead of using his gift constructively, uh, but thankfully his big brother, who's kind of Jesus, uh, is there to put him on the right track, uh, until his big brother fucking dies trying to save a robotics professor from a terrible accident, just as Hiro is showing everybody his amazing microbot invention that will revolutionize the entire goddamn world. Uh, fast forward a little bit, Hiro is dealing very badly with this until he accidentally discovers that his big brother's science project that was demonstrated to him briefly before his passing, Baymax, a magical, adorable healing robot, uh, is, is here to make him feel better. Or get turned into a robot superhero? Probably that. Uh, he discovers somebody is using his incredible machine devices to supervillain up stuff, uh, and very quickly comes to the conclusion that this person probably killed his brother by using the terrible accident to cover up the theft of his intellectual property. Uh, so he's going to use Baymax to go and get him, uh, but that's not going to work out just with the two of them, so they also have to enlist the help of the cool team of eccentric science super people who his brother was working with. Uh, they're all great. I don't have time to introduce them to you. Uh, uh, they, they track down the villain. It's not who they thought it would be at first, uh, but it's somebody who just coincidentally is a mirror of Hero's own issues being able to let go of the family member that he lost. Will Hero make the right decision uh, and, and prove that he's better than just a vengeance vendetta? Obviously, it's a children's movie and he's a hero. So, yes, and we're going to have a cool superhero team come out of it at the end. Yay! I went ridiculously over time, but uh, I call foul because I was cheated. See, I was going to have a nice, comforting, uplifting kind of denouement to your, you know, timing <laughs> problems. But now you're blaming me for it, and that just doesn't seem very heroic behavior. What's your prior experience with this movie, Fox? I didn't catch this in the theaters. Um, I think I was just a bit soured on, on Disney stuff at the time. Uh, which is surprising because I did see Frozen in a theater, so I don't know. I guess this kind of just fell by the wayside because ultimately this movie had the tremendous misfortune to come immediately after Frozen. I feel like it's going to have a very sad uh, uh, financial story because of that. But let's just enjoy it for what it is, eh? I knew of the comic before the show. Rex, this is based on a fucking Marvel comic, isn't it? Yeah, galactically different. Like, a lot of similar premises, a lot of related material, but nothing you'd consider to be the same thing. I understand rough character sketches is, is what we get out of this, basically. The original was a lot more of a strictly comedy thing. 
the original had members of the X-Men in it. Oh, wow. So, no. Man, that's not the impression <laughs> that I had. No, and due to this movie's success, the comics of that era are just quietly done. Uh, if you want to read them, you have to go get digital versions. Marvel's never going to re- <laughs> Well, Marvel has said they're never going to reprint them. Um, and they're, like, adjacent. It's definitely different material with a different kind of tone to it. But, like, I don't think of it as, like, a tragic loss cut down at its prime or anything like that. It's just <laughs> someone was handed the components of this story and they made this movie out of them and you could give those components to someone else and they would make a different story. Yeah, look, I have to say Marvel saying they're, they're not going to reprint X old books is like, well, you know, that's not really special. That's not a mark against you. There's going to be a shitload of stuff that's not worth reprinting. As we approach closer and closer to the now, we are running harder and harder into the problem of the double take. Oh, yeah, I, I ain't got nothing for double taking on this. Not to say that this movie doesn't bear rewatching, but I just didn't have any real impressions of the previous version of this in my head versus the version I just watched. They appear to line up pretty well. It's an enjoyable movie. Few things stand out to be be markedly different. Astonishingly, I changed less in the period between 2014 and now than I have in the period since 1994 and now. Who would have guessed? <laughs> uh-huh. That also means that there's a bit of an awkwardness around our next section, the Yikes Door slash product of its time. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's anything very yikesy in this movie. There's stuff I would consider worth examining on a more granular level, like the way Wasabi is the one black guy. Wait, yeah, Wasabi is. He's He's got the set of cowardly black guy tropes. But at the same time... The problem is not nerdy black guy has this particular behavior. It's only black guy represents this archetype. And a bigger cast with a bigger movie... <laughs> sorry, a bigger movie with a bigger cast would have a different handle on that. Eh, shoulder shrug. It's like, true. definitely something Disney could be doing better at, but not like this movie stands apart where we're all sitting here going, phew, you gotta remember, the Yikes store had the crows from Dumbo behind yeah. it. So, like, a yikes has to hit a pretty high standard, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as far as single representation of any, uh, any particular, uh, ethnicity or, or, uh, archetype goes, um, they are reaching for a fair bit of diversity with a core cast of six people and a robot, so. One of whom is white. Yeah. That's, I mean, they've definitely done a lot better than we're used to seeing out this kind of thing. Unless you count Baymax as white, ha-ha, funny joke. But you can also make the case that, you know, technology replicates the ideology of its creators. On the other hand, diegetically, Baymax was created by a half-Asian guy. On the other hand, that half-Asian guy was created by authors, and I didn't look into their racial backgrounds. Or whatnot, so, like, you know, it's all complicated, and I'm not particularly bothered by it. <laughs> We're also not reaching particularly far past the stereotypes when we go, hey, it's a Japanese-American family of robot geniuses. But, you know, it's that's not inherently bad. That's, once again, just a problem of representation. Like, every Japanese person we meet in this is a massive science nerd who's great at robots. But it's also a movie about Six massive science nerds who are great at robots. So, yeah. Well, also, one is better at chemistry. Yeah, but also, robots are cool. 
Yes, exactly. Like, it, it would be like having a movie about six dinosaur riders. Like, well, you know, <laughs> why are all these characters dinosaur riders? Because dinosaur riding is sick. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, it's if the movie's central premise wasn't about science superheroes, I would have more of a problem with those characters all lining up with that particular archetype. Which is also... <laughs> Probably Not fine. to say that the movie is absolutely flawless in that regard. What we're saying is we, a couple of white people from Australia, That's didn't true. catch much. Also, I have no idea about the voice cast. I presume that we were not necessarily like, oh, oh, Talon is signaling me. Do we have Nonny Ikes in the voice cast? That would be nice. Save that point for the animation. Okay, we'll put a pin in that. Okay. Stick it right there. Cool. I hope to not be disappointed when we explore that field. Um, I will say this. It's an outrageously American version of of all the diverse types of characters in it. Which, like, I mean, that's what it sets out to do. It, for fuck's sake, it's set in a city called San Francisco. Yep. It's, this is clearly what if San Francisco was Little Tokyo, or I guess in this case, big-ass Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that's a little off-putting. But, I mean, there's no reason that specifically Japanese Americans can't have representation. I don't see why not. We move on to the animation and making section, where I would like to talk to you about... Oh, look, it's the voice talent! Please do! So here's a fun thing. A deliberate effort was made in the casting to ensure that the characters were represented by voice actors who matched their backgrounds and ethnicities. Oh my fucking god! Nice job, Disney. You did it. (laughs) Doing the bare minimum! Yeah! In 2014. Now, That's this right. does have some cute things to it. For example, uh, Genesis Rodriguez, who voices Honey Lemon, also does her Spanish-American dub. That's kind of neat. Um, similarly, uh, Damon Wayans, who voices Wasabi and is the singer of the song, sings another language version of the song, I think in Italy. I'm not sure. I didn't double check that one. Man, I confused our character names for a second and I thought that that uh, Gogo's voice actor was named Damon and I was like, sick! <laughs> no, Gogo's voice actor is named Jamie. But, also points, but yeah. yeah. Like, congratulations, they got there, they did it. There is one character in the main cast who is not voiced by someone of their racial extraction and that is Scott Alster Adsit, who's playing Baymax. Which I don't think counts. I don't think Baymax has a racial extraction. <laughs> but uh, Ryan Potter isn't just Japanese-American. He's biracial Japanese-American. Like nice. Hiro. How cool is that? Perfect. Yeah. yeah. It just goes to show they can't fucking do it when they try. Yeah, you can find him. Yeah. Uh, Alan Tudyk is back as Alastair Cray. That's who Cray is. I knew it was someone who I should recognize. And uh, Maya Rudolph was Cass. And she acted physically the lines, <laughs> which the animators were then went, okay, I guess we're just putting all this in. So same situation as Jane from Tarzan. I mean, to be fair, generally you observe the voice actor when you're doing character animation. It's pretty rare not to in a studio like Disney where you have access to them right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, there's a lot of her movement, which is very just sort of natural and neither particularly panto nor particularly robotic mm-hmm. so it's it's not at all hard to believe that it's effectively improv fred's dialogue is largely improv <laughs> right who's voicing fred again that would be tj miller who 
kind of scraggly-haired, beady bloke. He's He does that job in a lot of different work. Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you'd recognize him if you saw him in a show you already liked. <laughs> Looks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. A little bit like a creep. <laughs> you know what? If he's, he's Hollywood Shaggy, right? Oh, so like still acceptably handsome Shaggy. He's, he's a little bit on the handsome side. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm here to, you know, go to, go to the mat for how hot TJ Miller is. No, but, but like that kind of scruffy chic. Yeah. Uh, yes. His lines are mostly ad-libbed and that meant that all the lines of people responding to him are also ad-libbed. <laughs> so Wasabi snapping at him is an ad-libbed line. Uh, the Fred song is entirely ad-libbed. There's uh, all the combat dialogue is ad-libbed. Fred, Fred apparently had just a really good time goofing around. That's what you would want someone to bring to that character. And yeah, uh, the cast are all active on Twitter and were active around the time the movie came out and did Q&A sessions, which gave you a lot of paratextual information if that's what you were into i'm not but but it's cool when they put in the effort and hopefully that means uh no one said or did anything fucking reprehensible seemingly no yay it it does seem that this is one of as it were the good ones um stan lee was a voice cameo as fred dad fred's dad in the after credit sequence he's in the tv show as well i believe yeah it's great it's through these Twitter sessions we learn the reason Gogo changes her name is because her birth name is Ethel. She changed her name? Well, I mean, she goes by Gogo. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's all I got. That's that's your animation and making. Um, do I have any animation notes? Oh, we talked in previous episodes about movies that exist uh, purely for the sake of animating a really fun thing. And I feel like the desire to animate Baymax is, is primarily what drove this. Like, definitely also the rising tide of superhero stuff. But, like, the the reason for this property in particular, I think, was because they were like, we, it'll be so delightful to animate this big squishy balloon man. And, and then he turns into, like, a fucking mecha as well. Be still a big squishy balloon man! San Francisco is also, like, environmentally feels like someone's dream project. There's so much <laughs> love and care in how that world is represented, background details, fixtures, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's kind of surface level tacky, but there's a lot of things about it that you noted as we were watching it. They're like, oh shit, yeah, that's that's actually something. That's storytelling. That's not just set decoration. One of the coolest things about it is, and this is one of those paratextual elements, like, at a glance, you just look at it and go, oh, it's San Francisco, but also Tokyo. In-universe, the Great San Francisco Earthquake really messed that place up, and the Japanese immigrants who already knew how to live in a heavily earthquake area were the first people to recover, and so the city developed along a different path since the 1800s. So, like, it's explicitly part of the world building, and that reflects in the way the world looks, which is... The thing I was originally going to tease it about was because I thought, oh, <laughs> it's, it's meant to be both San Francisco and Tokyo. This is what Tokyo probably looks like to an American, because they have no appreciation for how <laughs> dense Tokyo is. That's, a, like, exactly what I was getting at with it being sort of surface-level tacky. And the intense... uh development that goes into making Tokyo livable in the form of 
all the public walking space, all the public transport and all that. But in this case, it's it's not even that. It's not, let's make t- San Francisco like Tokyo. It's, what does San Francisco look like if we weren't so racist about the Japanese immigrants <laughs> in the 1800s? And that's a really legit, interesting world-building question. I really like it. I still think the, the Tory Gate Bridge might be a little bit on the nose, but... What, know, Americans? to say... Building tacky things. <laughs> tacky monuments. Great big tacky things. <laughs> I know. Great big tacky things that say, look at the culture we're part of. We've made it in America. Not, not it... my America. <laughs> not my culture. It's kind of irresistible given they're both so stereotypically red as well. <laughs> I feel like they just were like, ooh, no, we've got to. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. I like the the use of raised trains because um, obviously Tokyo and San Francisco both have really interesting relationships with public transport. Mm. Uh, and San Francisco is it's still a place now where you can get a tram in the US, right? That's, that's yeah. why there's trams in the movie. Yeah. There's this phrase. It's it's from well, I know it from a comedy show, uh, which is apparently named after a uh, Wu Tang album, I think, yep. which is "Fear of a Black Planet," uh-huh. which is that. There are things in whiteness that are terrified of seeing the world that replicates some other culture than the dominant norm that we have now. Oh, goodness, yes. And that meant... Like, don't get me wrong. I first wanted to rib on San Francisco, But the more I think about it, even if, like, it might be that this that the Asian people look at this and go, that's a stupid... Well, we wouldn't do it like that. That's stupid. But I still look at it now and try and think in terms of, like, okay... Am I finding things to nitpick because I'm not comfortable with this? Or is this actually full of really cool dope shit that I actually... That, like, <laughs> if, if this was representing my culture, like, yeah, we put we put wind turbines on kites and we power our houses with that and all the businesses do that and they put their logos on the side. Like, that that's cool as hell. <laughs> yeah, if anything, I think the part of this that I don't like is just my sort of reflex action towards things that are very American. Oh, God, yeah. This kind of makes me, mmm, puts me on edge. There's no reason that we can't have representation specifically for Japanese Americans. Like, that's important too. Gogo's Korean-American. She Korean? Yep. Cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, that that's pretty much all I got on the um, animation and making. Uh, I did have a note for a grand thesis, but it's it's like barely there. <laughs> I don't... I don't know if I have a grand thesis out of this. It's not... It's remarkable only in sort of what a good time it is. It's not... Like, it does everything you would expect it to do as a kid's superhero movie. It is. Mm-hmm. It has a strong moral core. It has a misguided young character. It has a villain who is a dark mirror of that character's emotional issues. Uh, it has an obvious bad guy who is a bait-and-switch for the real bad guy. Um, it's got a team who will support you unconditionally, even if that means fighting you when you do the wrong thing. That's the thing with coming up with a grand thesis for this movie. I think that if I were to do that for this movie in particular, the main thing I would point out is just what you get from watching the movie, which is to say mental health is really important and is affected by your material conditions, that there are things you can do to help with your mental health, and there are things you can do that will prepare you for other problems with your mental health. 
letting go is part of that. And there are things you could do to fix that. And there are things that you can do to the opposite of fix that. And that's it. That's, that's, but the thing is, that's the movie. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not like, you know, ha, ah, yes. Here, watch me bring uh. Baudrillard and suits together like it's a magic trick. It's just, no, that's just the movie. That's... <sighs> Don't want to alarm you, but uh, I may have a particularly deep inside bomb to drop on you. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong, I can absolutely... In- You've seen me do this with other movies. <laughs> you know how much I love doing this. In this one in particular, the big thing that sticks out to me is just how good this movie is at delivering its actual message. Yeah. <laughs> it's just doing what I came here to do, and it's doing a good job. I guess I have a secondary point, uh-huh. which is being a hero is fun. <laughs> I was actually just about to go into this territory of like i think this movie is very of its time in that this is a reconstruction of superheroes for kids in particular because even that like you know the the x-men movies that were popular not too far ahead of this but in the 2000s rather than the 2010s were very like uh you know don't use bright colors don't don't admit that superheroes shit is dumb and tropey and, you know, make it real grown up. Wolverine. Nobody likes Cyclops anymore. Wolverine. I mean, the, you you're you're talking about the X-Men films before Iron Man and stuff? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, they, they got shit at the time. Like, people were very pleased to see them. They were like, yeah, that's right. I don't like Superman. He's dumb and boring. And, you know, fast forward to now, we're like, oh god, please bring back dumb, boring Superman who's just good and nice, please. Um, and the the Marvel stuff that started around this time was definitely an attempt to rebuild superhero stuff as actually being fun. Mm-hmm. And this feels like the actual kid-level version of that. I mean, tons of people let their kids watch the Marvel stuff, but it's not really appropriate for kids. The, the premise in this movie is that when they are succeeding and when they are doing good, they are having fun. And that is itself like that same principle of like mental health wise. What are some things that can improve your mental health? Going out and doing good, doing good for people, taking care of people that will help you feel better and think better. And I, you know, again, it's just in the movie. Just, just watch, (laughs) you know, what's a really good way to explain my point the movie Big Hero 6, yeah. which you should watch. Oh, yeah, seminal text, Big Hero 6. Uh, time was, Fred would have pissed me off so much. Yeah. Just for existing and being so meta-aware and such a... And rich. ...fucking doofus. But, like, he's... I, I actually really enjoy him being here because he's the reminder that this shit is meant to be fun. He's the only one who's, like, you know, they get wind of the idea of being superheroes and he just starts vibrating. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you want to be superheroes. It's fucking cool. And similarly, Fred is never ungenerous. Fred is always thinking the best of his friends. Fred is always believing in their ability to be heroes. He's not mocking anyone for doing a bad job of being a hero. It's always a positive thing from Fred. The TV show for this, by the way, uh, also does a great job of of being what it's here to be. I was Um, expecting that to come up in... Whatever land! <laughs> oh, well, I mean, are we not in whatever land? Because I, I feel like we said the words grand thesis, and then we repeated the same point three times. So. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's where we are. <laughs> All right, grand thesis is being heroes is cool and fun. Let's watch a great fun movie. Moving on.
dealing with loss is hard and worth doing and it doesn't mean you don't love or respect the thing you lost. You know what? With respect to that, I will say that the the most disappointing thing in this movie is once again Wasabi. Um because I he, he has a lot of, of that neuroatypical vibe going mm. on, and I don't know how deliberate that is, but I feel like if they'd run with it a little further, he would have seemed less like a coward and more like someone who just genuinely thinks differently to most people, and that would have been a more interesting character. Yeah. The, uh, we, we sometimes talk about the idea of the neurodivergence bucket. You don't, <laughs> you don't neatly and tidily get uh, a, a stamp that says, this character is neurodivergent, right. unless sometimes a developer is kind enough to actually say, look, no, I state, I had a stated goal, here is how I executed on it, that, that, that. It sounds like this would have been something, like, you mentioned the, the meta text. I didn't look into that. So... It, it would probably just be something that appeared in the liner notes at this stage if somebody had said something about it, I guess is what I'm thinking. In Wasabi's case, his aversion to sudden shifts, his distaste for surprise, his preference for people to be in the clearly designated area, and the nulling, yeah. those are all big things to dump in the probably not neurotypical bucket. I'm not saying, you know, Fred is this or that, just like... And this is also not a score that you build up. Not Fred again. That. I did it again. Whoops. <laughs> this is not to say that wasabi is or isn't a particular thing. It's just, it's very easy to see different ways this character comes across. Right, right. And we get that it's not a score that you build up either. It's not like, once there's enough things in the bucket, I guess you get the badge. Yeah. But... Though, when there are enough things in the bucket, anyone saying, oh no, they're definitely not, does kind of get a, like, really? Y you really think that? <laughs> We have a rare instance of the Disney elf. Yeah, yes. The aunt I'd love to <clears throat> respectfully get to know. Yeah. My goodness, Cass is really <laughs> good. She's so fun. She's so friendly. She's such a good, like, mix of that uh, of the very many traits you need in a Disney parent figure. She's she's both highly strung and extremely fun all at the same time. I, I never have this period of like, oh, maybe rein it in there a little lady. She's just <laughs> no, really she's great. just lovely and supportive and wickedly hot. Um, and just, a, a, she's a great character. Obviously, she doesn't need to be a particularly deep character or have any particular flaws of note or anything because she's just supporting cast. Her job is to facilitate heroes' uh, yeah. mental health in a way that understands and accepts him but can't actually help because that's the function she has to play. But, you know, in that role, there's just a, a... This probably mostly comes down to the voice performance, let's be honest. She yeah. Comes across as a very sincere version of this character, and I kind of love her. Yeah, Maya Rudolph just absolutely kills it in this role. That That's a name. Sorry, I thought you said Maya Rudolph. Like, you've got one of your own, I guess. Micro game inside the podcast. Hey, Fox. Yeah. Two characters were originally designed to have visible tattoos. That were eventually removed from them in uh, the later stages of development. Who do you think they were? Um, that's a big question. There's a lot of possibilities. Um, I feel like Honey Lemon would just have henna tattoos, so they don't really count. Um, probably Gogo, because she's that kind of like cool, sexy girl power girl archetype. I, I will say her woman up is a bit... Uh, Cringe. That's There's a no bit, other word for it. Yeah. It's, 
It's very of it. No, it's not even of its time. It would have been cringe even at the time. Fucked that one up a bit, didn't you? Anyway, I feel like she might have had tattoos and then they were like, for a Korean American, you say, hmm, yeah, maybe not. Um, uh, I, I kind of want it to be, uh, Tadashi, just because that would be quite interesting. But I doubt it is, or you wouldn't bring it up. <laughs> um, so probably then wasabi, just because, you know, stereotype and whatnot. Gogo and Cass. Cass, sweet. Cass was gonna have a forearm sleeve. Please, that I picked Gogo. <laughs> just like, Aunt Cass was gonna have a forearm sleeve. I'm sorry, I'm not over this. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, did you want her to be hotter? <laughs> but, uh, the only other thing I have here is that Baymax's animation reminds me a lot with the head of birds. God, Baymax is so fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the birds move in a way that's kind of robotic because mm-hmm. they adjust so quickly and then they stop because they're already where they need to be. Whereas a human, you're so, oh, I'm looking over here now. Mm-hmm. Um, they do so much good physical comedy with Baymax. Some of it is kind of fat jokes, but not like, not on the nose kind of fat jokes. Mm. Uh, and part of the joy of it is that trying to change his form is met with resistance or failure or just ultimately turns out to be kind of a betrayal of who he is. And they loop several times through trying to quote-unquote fix it. Mm -hmm. And like ultimately Baymax being Baymax wins because that's who Baymax is. And that's kind of very, uh, very pleasing. Baymax's size is used... It's... I... I don't want to run. I don't want to run the risk of hyping this up too much because we've talked a lot about fat phobia in comedy throughout the yeah. oeuvre. It feels at times that someone looked at the history of the fat jokes and thought, "But those are great physical comedy moments. Like, how can we get that?" And like Baymax was an attempt of like, "Can we have the fatty without it being a humiliating experience for a person? What can we do to get that kind of visual affect?" in a 3D world that feels a bit more material than traditional animation and also doesn't make a person a butt of the joke. And not to say that Baymax isn't a person, because Baymax absolutely is, but Baymax isn't made of meat. Yeah, there's something about that that makes it very different. It's hard to articulate why, because Baymax does a lot of the stuff that fat jokes normally do. Uh, Baymax is cuddly and ineffectual before he deliberately gets transformed to be effectual um and uh you know clumsy and and uh, you know just unsuited for action stuff um but none of it lands the same way it does when you're doing a fat joke with a person made of meat also Uh, a detail about this i kind of love is that baymax's fatness is not any impediment to baymax's capacity baymax is a terrifying karate fighter without the armor and that's because everything that makes baymax dangerous is already there yeah yeah it i don't know uh other people's experience may vary but uh speaking as a fat person uh i felt good about baymax and i enjoyed the the physical comedy it did not feel like it happened at my expense well, with all that out of the way, because a bunch of my whatever land got covered in the world building stuff, uh, want to talk about 
the dread horror that lurks over the course of every hero's life. Capitalism. Why not? Do you reckon the budget was higher or lower than Frozen? <sighs> okay. Uh, trying to remember what you said about Frozen last time. I feel like I thought Frozen cost way more than Frozen actually cost. I seem to remember it being surprisingly cheap. Do you want those numbers again? Ah, uh, yeah, I'll just wing it. I mean, at this point, the budgets are blown out of all proportions, so it's it's very hard for me to uh, to keep any line of continuity. They also seem just less directly related to anything that's in the movies, let's be honest. Um, I'm gonna say it cost a comparable amount. Yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, Frozen was 150 million. This was 165 million. Okay, those are very close, yeah. Which is a 10% increase. And as far as budgets blowing out of proportion, these take about two years to make. And in the United States, a middle class yearly income is about $50,000. Which is a fucking brisk schedule for an animated movie, just putting that out there. Yeah. Which means that $150 million will get you two years of work out of about 1,500 people. I, I can't do the maths on that, and you shouldn't expect me to. But that's actually, in my mind, like a reasonable... Like, visually, I'm like, do 1,500 people work on this movie? I don't know. Probably? I don't mean blown out to the point of being unreasonable. I mean blown out in the sense of, like, translating that to real money that oh, we yeah. deal with. It, like, it's meaningless at this point. Very reasonable. Especially since, as we addressed, Frozen made, like, a billion dollars. Frozen made $1.28 billion. Like, a billion? 0.28 higher! Yeah. The point is that the... The margin of error is $280 million, <laughs> which is more than, like, some of these movies made. That's total. Yeah. It's more than quite a few of these movies made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, if, if you're going to ask me, did it make more or less than Frozen? No, like, no. I think we're all obviously... Yeah. Uh, my question is, how, you know, yeah. do you see... How does it compare to its own budget? Um... I, it's definitely going to be successful. Yep. There's no chance it made less than its own budget. I, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like, do I think it made even half as much as Frozen? Mm, do I think it made 500 million? Uh, probably not. It, it deserves to, but maybe eh, a little bit less. The fan of this movie are kind of negative about Frozen. Like, if you go into the Big Hero 6 spaces, there are a fair number <laughs> of people who are just a little bit sour about it would Frozen. Be hard to not resent it a bit. You know, eating yeah. all the oxygen in the room. Um, and when I saw that going in, I thought, oh man, did this thing get absolutely dumpstered? Like, are we talking, like, Chicken Little Return, where it's like, yeah, alright, international markets, we basically we basically made our uh, our costs back and then it once, once over. No, uh, Big Hero 6 made $657 million. Hey, that's about half of Frozen. That's it, a lot of money. It, two Big Hero 6s is more than Frozen. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, Frozen is the grotesque outlier here. Yeah. But... Big Hero yeah, 6... That's something to be ashamed of. Yeah, Big Hero 6 was successful. Big Hero 6 was amazingly successful. That's uh, that's almost as much as Tangled, isn't it? Which um, was also really successful. Yeah, those, those are Aladdin numbers. So yeah, it, it was wildly successful. It did really well. And it just didn't make $1.28 <laughs> with the B <laughs> dollars. Yeah. 
It has Stan Lee in it, the story's cohesive, the characters are great, the voice acting talent is all on point, it's funny, it's charming, and, like, I, I wound up looking for things people complain about to just get an idea of what I could go for in this. What? Hmm. What did I not like? Um, you know what? Soundtrack. I I didn't care for the, the spots that they did songs for what yeah. they chose. It was very, like, yeah, whatever. I obvious thematic connection but i don't actually like it so imagine if it had been a musical (laughs) but i don't know if the world is ready for a superhero musical yet oh you haven't seen what they do on broadway (laughs) i have that's part of why i don't think it's ready yet uh i did find a favorite weird dumb complaint all right and i wanted to drop this on you right at the end This isn't going to be like, the girls aren't sexy enough, is it? It's close to that. One of the complaints from one critic was that Honey Lemon is too much like Rapunzel. For fuck's sake. She's not, though. Like... (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching the animated brain shut down because all all the obvious things to you are just that tiny bit technical, aren't they? Like, the chin is very narrow. <laughs> Nothing like... like. <laughs> I assume what they mean is she's very skinny and has a large head with very big eyes. Yeah. But and she's long blonde hair? on the, like, far opposite side of, of Rapunzel. Like, mm-hmm. she's a much more cartoon version of that than even Rapunzel is. I... There's no fair comparison. It's not like they reuse the model, you dorks. Also, she's not white. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a thing, I'm pretty sure. Yes. And they don't really have the same personality either. Like, they're no. both nice. Is it just that you only have one space for nice girls in your chart? <laughs> going to cram everybody into that? The completely naive one versus the, there's a whatever land. I was going to mention this. I always thought it was kind of cute. That Honey Lemon goes out of her way to pronounce Hiro. Correctly, yeah. With, with, uh, I mean, as close to a Japanese R as you can reasonably say in normally paced conversation in English. Uh, like, it, it's just, it's a contrast to the other characters. They don't all do it. She does it specifically, and it feels uh, deliberate and thoughtful, which is very appropriate for her character. That's, so, yeah. Yeah, I always thought it was neat. Yeah, also in the show... Her and Gogo, probably girlfriends, probably don't talk about it. Yeah, if they're not yet, then they need to be. Yeah. Show, show's really good. Show's good, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit like the Tangled show. It's a, a 2D CG. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's got that, that sort of flat, almost paper cutout kind of look sometimes. Like, it's definitely cheap, but it's nice cheap. It's It's quite palatable cheap. It has a whole episode dedicated to how important fanfiction is. <laughs> it's got a lot of cool stuff. Like, it's, it's legit interesting, and it's a good... For once, for once, one of these movies actually should have expanded stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, this isn't a closed, finished, completed story. We're trying to cram any more plot into it. Just has to roll back character development and... and Pretend that we didn't resolve all our emotional issues or, you know, oh, quick, bring back the magic fucking hair. <laughs> because that's how we're going to make a show about this exciting. It's, I mean, this is an origin story. It lends itself to a series. They should make more of it. It was great. I like it. What's next? 
God, what is next? Um, uh, is it Moana? No, but you could be forgiven because two movies dropped in 2016. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because I remember Moana being in development at the same time as, as Tangled yep. was getting talked about, so it can't be far off. Is it Ralph 2 then? No, my dear, you're forgetting. I am, clearly. You're forgetting one of the hottest days of the year and us hiding in a movie theater to get away from it. Black Panther. Zootopia. Oh, shit. Yeah, how could I forget Zootopia? All right. Yeah. Ooh. Let's go see how that's aged. <laughs> 